Good evening. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, please turn to Matthew chapter 14. Uh, I believe you can grab a pew Bible and that would be found on page 820. Uh, just a, a quick moment to, to, to say one or two things about the, the college. Uh, just things you can be praying for. One is uh, we just uh, in the last month have uh, gotten a new president for the college. Uh, uh, Brad Voiles is our new president. He's the seventh president of Covenant College, which was uh, founded in uh, 1955. So you can be praying for, for Brad. Uh, and then uh, the, the big prayer request that it just the Lord has been so gracious uh, over all these years, but just want to keep praying that the school will remain uh, biblically faithful. And, it, uh, you know, I'm excited to tell you we've got a faculty that uh, loves Jesus Christ who every year signs off on the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith and a statement of community beliefs that's just really solid and, and uh, thankful for the Lord's uh, faithfulness for all these years. And, and uh, just ask you to keep praying that, that will, the school will continue to be a, a faithful uh, place uh, going forward. Uh, this evening, we're going to be considering the account of Jesus walking on the water, which is found on verses 22 through 33 in Matthew 14. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, this is uh, no doubt a familiar account to you. It's also found in the Gospels of Mark and John. And just to put a little context to uh, to this passage, uh, this event occurs immediately after uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves of bread. Uh, with that uh, being said, let's uh, pray together and then uh, I'll read the, the Word of God. This is a this is a chance for you right now as we go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, you know, this is a remarkable thing we get to do as, as Christians. Uh, the Lord is going to speak to us through His His, His Word and the Word preached, and and uh, it's a great time for you to to say to the Lord, you know, tell me what you want me to hear from you. So let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we're, we're coming to you this evening. We're about to read your word. Your word will be preached. Lord, we pray that you will show us glorious truths in this portion of your holy gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Remember, this is the word of God. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the, to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. 
and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Years ago, before the wonderful technology of Google Maps in our phones, uh, my wife Wendy and I uh, took a trip to Miami, Florida. And we flew into Miami and rented a car and we checked into our hotel and we had a couple hours to uh, kill before we needed to get to, to our event. And we decided to get back in the rental car and, and drive around and just kind of explore. We had never been uh, to Miami, Florida before. And before long, we were lost. And, you know, all of us have been in, in new cities before and we got, we've gotten turned around. That's, that's not the most uncommon thing. But when I tell you we were lost, we were the most lost that I've ever been in my entire life. And as we were going in and out of different places in Miami, soon we were in an area where every storefront and sign was in Spanish and neither Wendy nor myself speak Spanish. So this was getting more and more problematic. And uh, after a little bit, I, I saw an airplane kind of descending. And I said, the airport must be over in that direction. Our hotel's near the airport. We're going to go that way. And my wife said to me, that's the plan? And I, that's the very best that I have for us. And we stayed lost for quite a while, but eventually we did find our way back. Being lost is not fun. And it can leave us confused and maybe even scared. And on this, in this particular account, the disciples are out on the sea, and they're though they're not, they know the sea, so they're not lost as in they don't have any idea where they are. But they've been out on the sea, and they're not getting anywhere uh, right now. And so they're definitely off course. But they're not just physically off course. As we look at this passage this evening. We're going to see that the disciples are, are spiritually off course. And, and what we're going to look at this evening is we'll learn that Jesus is always working for us, even when we are off course. So I'm going to give us three, uh, three P's this evening for us to try to help us with this passage. The first is to remember that Jesus prays. 
Jesus prays. Secondly, Jesus pursues. And finally, Jesus is worthy of our praise. So Jesus prays in verses 22 and 23. Jesus pursues in verses 24 through 31. And Jesus is worthy of our praise in verses 32 and 33. So let's begin with verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So Jesus has had a full day of ministry. His day started that morning by getting the news of the death of John the Baptist. And when he heard that, he withdrew to a place and uh, he had gone to a desolate place, uh, no doubt uh, grieved by, by this news. But the crowds found out and they came and they found him and they started to follow him. And he saw the crowd and he had compassion on them and he started healing the sick and teaching and preaching to them. I suspect by the end of this day, Jesus was exhausted. So he did the thing he needed to do the most, and that is to get alone by himself so that he could pray. And we don't know for sure what Jesus was praying about, but it's a good guess that he was interceding for his people, maybe on behalf of his disciples. After all, that they're a faithful group. They've, at this point, have been following Jesus around for about a year and a half, and they've struggled sometimes to understand Jesus and and his ministry. Perhaps he's praying for the crowd on the that's been with him on this uh, particular day. In John's account of the gospel, he tells us that they wanted to make him king, and that, but they wanted to make him king for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Jesus had been healing the sick, and they had been providing food for them, and they wanted to keep Jesus around because he was doing good things for them. But that's not the terms that Jesus is going to be king on. Again, we don't know what Jesus was praying about, but we do know that Jesus felt the need to pray, and he was serious about praying. Notice that he dismissed the crowd in the evening after he had fed them dinner, and he went to pray. Then when we're told that he comes walking on the water to the disciples, it's, it's during the fourth watch. And that's the Roman way of, of telling time. And that would be somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. So Jesus has been praying for a long time, maybe as much as nine hours. You know, we can learn much about Jesus in the Bible through Jesus' prayer life. You know, we learn that, that Jesus praise for others. Matthew 19, 13. Then little children were brought to, to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. We learn that Jesus prayed with others. Jesus took, Luke 9, 28, Jesus took Peter, John, and James, 
with him and went up on the mountain to pray. We know that Jesus prayed alone. We see that in our text uh, this evening. Uh, we also uh, read in Luke 5.16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus prayed short prayers and prayed long prayers. The Lord's Prayer is a, is a great short prayer, easy for us to memorize, full of wisdom for us. But also Jesus went to dedicate long periods of time to pray. And again, he prayed a long time on this evening. Jesus taught persistence in prayer. Luke 18.1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus still praying even now in heaven. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Or Romans 8.34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. The Lord Jesus is still praying for us today. The point is that prayer is the engine of Jesus' ministry. Jesus praying assures us that he is able to complete the work that the Father sent him to accomplish. Prayer is a key part of the Christian experience. Matthew Henry once said, you may as soon find a living man who does not breathe as a living Christian who does not pray. Jesus breathed. Jesus prayed. That's the way he went about his ministry. If prayer was necessary for Jesus, how much more for us? Birds fly, fish swim, and Christians pray. And this evening, the, the disciples forgot Jesus was even then praying for them. And it should bring you comfort and assurance when you find yourself lost or confused to know that the Lord is praying for you. So that's the first thing this evening is that Jesus is praying. Second thing uh, is that Jesus pursues. Actually, let me just say one more thing about Jesus praying. Uh, and this is free. It's not going to be on the exam. Uh, you know, I, it's easy to stand up here and say, birds fly, fish swim, and Christians pray. And yet I know all of us are challenged uh, with our prayer life. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever met a Christian that says, I've got that figured out. I'm good with that. Uh, so let me just encourage you. If you're not where you want to be, neither is the person in the next pew. But we can all work harder on it. And we know it's important. Jesus prayed all the time. So don't be discouraged. 
be encouraged to, to keep praying. That's, that's what the Lord Jesus would have us do. All right, Jesus pursues. But so, so Jesus is doing more than just praying for you. Jesus is pursuing you. Look at verse 24 with me. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus came walking right out onto the water to them. And when they see him, they are terrified. We read that they cried out in, in fear. They are really scared about what they're seeing on this evening. Why are they so scared when they see Jesus walking towards them? Well, I think to really understand that fully, uh, the best way to answer that is, is to look at Mark's account of, of this story. Uh, Mark says this, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. See, the disciples completely missed the work Jesus was doing for them during the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples got into the boat that evening. And instead of looking at each other in amazement, saying, what in the world just happened here? How did that, did Jesus just feed 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves of bread? That's amazing. He's amazing. Instead of doing that, you, you kind of get the feeling that, that they got in the boat and they shrugged their shoulders and, and said, who knew a little bit of fish and bread could go so far? And they completely missed the picture. Instead of focusing on the God-man, Jesus, and making much of Jesus, they just went about their merry way. Jesus, though, he's, he's not going to let them get by with this. Jesus did yet another miracle. This time he came walking out to the water towards the boat, a boat that only had traveled a few miles in the last nine hours. Yes, the disciples had missed the point about the feeding of the 5,000, but Jesus was not going to let them miss this. This was going to be a walk to remember. So how did the disciples miss the miracle feeding of the 5,000? I think maybe I was 10 years old when this happened. I think about 10. It was Christmas morning, and I was a boy, 
nobody loved Christmas morning as a boy more than I did. I just love Christmas morning. I woke up early and I woke up excited. And I suspect my heart was still beating out of my chest with excitement uh, five to 10 minutes in enjoying the euphoria that is Christmas morning and many new gifts. And my dad said to myself and my older brother, five minutes in to this exciting time, uh, boys, you need to go get some firewood, which meant we had to go down the steps of the basement and out under the, the porch and, and bring in the firewood. And this was very disheartening news for me because that was not on my plan that morning. And so uh, quite upset, uh, uh, my brother and I went uh, off and down the steps and muttering to ourselves, probably something like, why can't dad get the firewood? He didn't get any gifts anyway. Uh, but uh, we, we went and we got the firewood and we came back up and we put it on the uh, hearth of the fireplace. And I can still to this day, 50 years later, almost, uh, can see the look of shock in my mom's and my dad's face as they looked at each other and they looked at us. And the dad said, you're going to have to go get some more firewood. And, and we went back down to the basement. And that's when we saw it the brand new pool table that we literally walked around the first time to get to the firewood and back. Well, how could that happen? How could we miss something that fantastic? Well, it happens because we were focusing on ourselves and we weren't looking out for the great gifts that our Father was providing for us. We were so focused on ourselves, we failed to see the wonderful gift right in front of us. Just like Dad sent us back down to the basement to see what he had done for us, Jesus did another miracle for the disciples, and, and he walks on the water. They had paid attention to Jesus for who he really is, the God-man, the one who has compassion on his people and provides for his people, the one that can do miracles of feeding, the one who can be counted on to always care for his people. If they had seen this, then they would not have been afraid when they saw him coming. In fact, if they had really understood who Jesus is and how much he cares, instead of being afraid when he shows up, they would have been looking for him. They would have been counting on his appearing. You see, Jesus cares for his people all the time. No matter what you're going through right now in your life, you, as a Christian, can know that Jesus can be trusted. Well, how can you know that, you might ask? 
after all this problem I have in life right now, it's it's a big deal. It's it's scary. It's it's a problem. Well, remember that Jesus pursued you when you were dead in your sins. You a sinner having no hope hope of saving yourself. Certain for eternity in hell, because that is actually what your sin is worth. You have no hope but in Jesus. He actually brought about reconciliation between you and God. God demands nothing short of a blood sacrifice for the atonement, for the forgiveness of sins. And that's exactly what Jesus has done for you. You don't have enough sacrifice to offer, but Jesus does. He pays all your debt at the cross of Calvary. So you may think someday that Jesus has left you and forgotten you in the storm that you're in right now in your life, but he hasn't. Jesus did not save you from your sin so that he could forget about you. Jesus will never, ever leave you nor forsake you. Friends, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or the danger, or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Now, Jesus' timing isn't always our timing, right? The, the disciples were indeed out in the storm for, for many hours, and Jesus let them be in the storm. He let them be in the storm so that they could know that he was their God. You know, when trouble comes, so often our first reaction is to ask Jesus to take the trouble away. I don't want anything to do with this. But the first thing we should do when trouble comes is we should look for Jesus. The disciples were focusing on the storm and not on Jesus. Friends, the, the cause for us to focus on Jesus and not the scary things in our life. When the disciples see Jesus, they cry out and they're scared. And Jesus tells them to take heart. He says, it is I. It's, it's, it's the Lord's way of saying, it, it, I am. He's using that familiar language that God uses to identify himself to Moses. He's showing his deity to his disciples. He's showing his deity for a purpose. He's assuring them that he can handle what they're going through. Friends, when you're afraid, look to Jesus.
He has you. He has you. Peter, Peter gets a glimpse of this, right? He, verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on the water, he said. Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter sees Jesus for who he really is. He, he sees that he's, he's God over all. That in this storm, he's actually walking to them on the water. He sees, at least for a moment, that Jesus is worthy to be trusted. And he hops out of the boat and actually starts walking towards Jesus. Now, now certainly, Peter has this moment of crisis shortly thereafter. But the reality of it is, all the disciples should have hopped out of the boat and walked towards Jesus. We should hop out of our boats of fear and walk to Jesus. He's a safe place. He can be trusted. Peter once again began to see the wind. He grew afraid, and the Lord had to rescue him. Friends, don't doubt the Lord. He's able to sustain you when you are afraid. He's able to deal with your troubles. Jesus is a relentless pursuer of his people. Just as he came for his disciples, he comes for us. The last thing I want us to look at uh, is that Jesus is worthy of our praise. Look with me at, at verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Uh, John Piper once wrote, People are starving for the grandeur of God, and the, math, and the vast majority do not know it. The majesty of God is an unknown cure for what troubles the soul. Once Jesus had saved Peter, they climbed into the boat, and the tempest stopped. Think about that for a moment. Again, for like nine hours, they've been dealing with this storm, and they just haven't been getting anywhere. And as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, the, the, the storm's over. Notice how the disciples respond when they see Jesus for who he really is. They start to worship. They praise God. They profess that Jesus is the Son of God. They're professing that Jesus is God himself. What the disciples needed most that night, and what I would argue what we need most tonight and every night, 
is to see Jesus in all of his glory, to, to get a glimpse of his majesty. For behold, when they see it, they are changed. They're no longer tired sailors that are, they are now amazed worshipers. When we are lost, when we are scared, when we don't know what else to do, it should drive us to worship. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. See, when we praise God, more happens in our soul than just giving proper recognition to whom God is for being so wonderful. When we're properly worshiping God, we're being renewed inwardly by the Holy Spirit. We're being transformed and made more like Christ himself. This happens when we look into the face of Jesus and we see glory staring back at us. Seeing Jesus high and lifted up should be our goal. Striving to see Jesus in all his eternal majesty should make us fall on our face and worship. This is a quote from B.B. Warfield says, the Calvinist is the man who sees God and who, having seen God in his glory, is on the one hand filled with a sense of his own unworthiness to stand in God's sight as a creature and much more as a sinner. And on the other hand, with adoring wonder that nevertheless, this God is a God who receives sinners. So you get it that, 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 that when we see God for who he really is, it, it, it's, it's amazing and it's scary for us. And yet at the same time, it's equally amazing that, that this God welcomes sinners. So if, if, if that's the definition of, of a Calvinist, and we'll use Warfield's definition this evening, I guess. Yeah, I would say that on this night, on this lake, all the disciples were Calvinist. They saw the glory of, of Jesus, and they were stunned. They were in awe, and all they could do is worship. They felt their unworthiness and knew for certain that Jesus was worthy of their worship. An incredible God who's full of power and majesty, who could feed 5,000 and walk on the water and calmed the storm, also hung on the tree and died for our sins and was raised from the dead, victoriously over the grave, and he is worthy of our praise. Seeing and savoring 
this glory is the goal of our salvation. I know in a little bit, y'all will head back home and you'll talk about what you thought about the sermon and how the preacher did. That's a, a regular Sunday event. That, we get that. Uh, but, but the question we should ask ourselves every Sunday is, how did I do with my worship today? How did I do with my worship today? That's the real question. And there's more to worship than just Sundays. Obviously, we should be men and women who want to praise God every day. If your life, uh, is your life marked by being a person of praise? Being a person who wants to worship Jesus? When we see Jesus for who he is, our creator, our sustainer, our savior, we should worship. Every day we need to go back to Jesus and praise him for the grace in our lives. And when we do that, we won't be lost. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for loving us and always caring for us. You are worthy to be trusted. You are worthy to be praised. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.